It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I'm looking forward to today's show. I have uh, I have some great guests for you. I will be joined by the majority leader of the New Jersey State Assembly. His name is Louis Greenwald. He is the dean of the assembly. That is the assemblyman with the most seniority in Trenton. He's also the sponsor of a package of gun safety bills that are up for consideration uh, in the state capitol next week, and, and, and you're going to want to hear that. And also on today is Nick DiGregorio. He He's a U.S. Marine infantryman. He served four combat tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, and now he is seeking the Republican nomination for Congress in New Jersey's 5th District. Uh, He wants to run against three-term Democrat Josh Gottheimer. Uh, So you're going to want to listen to everything that Majority Leader Greenwald and Nick DiGregorio have to say today. Uh, I also want to tell you about a local election in New Jersey. And and frankly, I think this is a stunning story about how how the courts, how some judges are inadvertently damaging democracy by simply moving slowly, by being in absolutely no rush at all to move forward on some election matters. I mean, elections are important. Counting votes are important. And when the court goes at a snail's pace. It's, it's, just, it's just not good for democracy. So, so get this. 13 months after the November 2020 election, it's hard to believe it's been that long. We're still talking about it. But 13 months after the election, judges in New Jersey have finally gotten around to issuing a decision on a local election in a, in a small town in New Jersey, ordering a special election. It's now scheduled for March of 2022. So here's what happened. The 2020 election for borough council in South Toms River resulted in a tie between Democrat, his name is George Rutzler, and and a Republican incumbent councilman, Sanford Ross. They each received 772 votes. Then there was a recount. And now the Democratic candidate was ahead by two, 772 to 770. It doesn't get much closer than that. And remember, the 2020 election in New Jersey was conducted almost entirely through vote by mail mail ballots. So Democrats went to court. They challenged two of the mail-in ballots. They they argued that the ballots should never have been counted because the voters signed them in the wrong place. Now, now this part's extraordinary. One of the voters is a man in his 90s, a World War II veteran. The other's a man in his 80s. The instructions for vote-by-mail ballots can be a little confusing. You, you need to put the ballot in an inner envelope, and then you need to sign it. Then you put that envelope in an outer envelope and you mail it. You don't just put your ballot in an envelope and and, and drop it in the ballot box or or, or with the U.S. Postal Service. Uh, Election officials use the inner envelopes to make sure that the signatures on the ballots match the ones they have on file. If the the signatures match, they open the envelope, they put the ballot in the pile to be counted. That's one of the steps, one of the steps they use to prevent voter fraud. So these two men, they sign both the envelope and they sign their ballot. And the Ocean County Board of Elections 
invalidated those ballots. They told these two men, one a World War II veteran in his 90s, they said, your vote doesn't count because you signed it in the wrong place. And they cited a law that says that you can't put any markings on your ballot that might distinguish it. Uh, That was meant to preserve ballot security. It wasn't meant to disenfranchise a World War II veteran in his 90s from having his vote counted. Uh, There was a lawyer for the Republicans. He's a very smart guy named Matt Mensch. He also happens to be the mayor of Bridgewater. And he argued that because the voters made those markings themselves, they shouldn't be disqualified. So the judge, and I like this judge, he's a very Hamish man named Arnold Goldman, he calls these two voters into court. And both of them, the man in his 90s and the man in his 80s, they testified that that they misunderstood the instructions. Both of them said they had never used a vote-by-mail ballot before. You're talking about one guy who probably voted in, in, in the Truman-Dewey race. So Judge Goldman found that their testimonies were, were credible. That was his word. He said that the signatures on the ballots were not for any nefarious purposes. So he said they should be counted. So the Democrats in South Toms River and in Ocean County appealed the ruling. And in the meantime, Judge Goldman allowed the Democrat, George Rutzler, to be sworn in as a councilman. So that is, and I just want to get the timeline right because it's important, that was in January of 2021. In May, so we're now six months after Election Day, May of 2021, the judge enters an order that says, well, we need a special election in June of 21. And as a result, the judge Rutzler to vacate the seat he'd held for two months. That was February. Then the Board of Elections comes in and they challenge the special election. They said, we don't, we don't think we need to have a special election. So that's a, a three-to-one vote. Ocean County Board of Elections challenges the, the judge's order. Frank Holman, he's the Republican county chairman. He voted against the appeal, but two Democrats, including a guy named Matthew Sage, whose job is that he was the Toms River Republican municipal, or the Democratic municipal attorney. Uh, his, his, his job as South River t- municipal attorney was on the line if his guys didn't win the election. I don't know how that's not a conflict. But the two Democrats are joined by a Republican, uh, a, a Lakewood rabbi named, named Israel Shenkolowski, and he'd served on this board for decades. He later said he didn't really know what he was voting on, but he voted for it. And in the repeal, the Deputy Attorney General of New Jersey, Dominic Giova, argued that Judge Goldman had made a mistake. He said that he should never have reinstated the ballots cast by the 90-year-old World War II veteran and the 80-something-year-old man, saying that the signed ballots should have nullified them. State of New Jersey, the Attorney General's Office of New Jersey, uh, you know, in fairness, this was uh, this is when Attorney General Grabeer Graywall was in office, not the, the current Attorney General, but they said that these two men, should not have had their votes counted. So the appellate court decides to challenge in June. So now eight months have passed since Election Day. And the wheels of justice, I mean, everybody, they turn very slowly. Uh, This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. I'm talking about the 2020 election that won't get decided until 2022. And this is just unreal. So now this council seat is sitting vacant. 
And, and allow me to state the obvious, that the people of South Toms River are still being denied representation in this particular seat. Municipal business is being conducted, and there's an empty chair sitting up on the rostrum. So the summer goes by. July, August, September, nothing is happening. Uh, the courts miss an important window, uh, which would have allowed the voters of South Toms River to fill the seat in the November 2021 election. I mean, imagine that, allowing voters to actually uh, cast ballots when there's a lot of people coming out to vote. But finally, on October 14th, this is now 11 months after the election, the appellate judges finally heard oral arguments in the case. Thank you for, for finally getting to it, Your Honors. But, but guess what happened this week? The judges issued their ruling. They decided that Judge Arnold Goldman got it right from the beginning, and they ordered him to schedule a special election. But this isn't going to happen quickly. Uh, a lawyer representing Ocean County officials said that literally, that was her word, literally, that every single employee in the county elections office is is out until January 3rd. So there's no one to work on the elections until next year. Let me repeat it. Nobody to work on the 2020 election until 2022. So the judge and his hands were tied. He set the special election for March 15th of 2022. And I'm going to save everybody the trouble of doing the math in their heads. I did it for you. Uh, a special election will now happen 497 days after the original election. And it's going to take some time to certify these results. So we're we're looking at no less than April of 22 to finally seat someone who ran for office in November of 20. That's, that's incredible. It, and, and, and part of it's disappointing. The judges had decided that elections are are, are, are important. They should have decided that. They should have simply fast-tracked, I think, the oral arguments for the appeal. So there could have been an election on Election Day. Uh, for the taxpayers, that would have been a freebie. Uh, now the people are going to have to foot the bill, tens of thousands of dollars, just to hold a new election. And, and an election that had a pretty good turnout in November, now we're going to be looking at a March turnout. And I, I guarantee you we're going to be looking at much, much lower turnout numbers. So, I mean, there, there are a few things more critical to public confidence in, in free and, and fair elections uh, uh, than, than a comprehensive attention to this process. And, and I, don't, I don't feel these elections are corrupt, although there's some exceptions, like in Patterson where – where a 2020 campaign had to be rerun due to the allegations of, of voter fraud. And by the way, the winner of that do-over election uh, was the guy the attorney general charged with voter fraud. So he's serving as a city councilman right now in the third largest city in the state as he awaits trial for voter fraud. But maybe that's a story for another time. So like I said, most of New Jersey's elections are fair and square. Sometimes Jersey just... They just get a bad rap. So, so one thing that's clear, not just to me, but to election law experts, both sides of the aisle, New Jersey's election laws are seriously broken. Uh, at some point, they're going to have to address that. The legislature needs to look at when statutes are in confl conflict with other statutes, and, and they need to fix it. And, and the judges, I think they move too slowly, I mean, sort of like turtles wearing black robes. Would it, would it have been... So terrible if the judges read the room, if they saw the people across this country are, are questioning the integrity of the process and, and maybe, maybe took some steps to just speed things up so that people wouldn't 
look at how the votes are counted and cast any doubt. Uh, I'll be right back with Nick DiGregorio, Marine Corps veteran, served in Iraq and Afghanistan. He is running for Congress in a district represented by Democrat Josh Godheimer. So please don't go away. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. Welcome back, everybody. Nick DiGregorio served nine years in the U.S. Marine Corps. He was a combat infantryman. He served in Iraq and Afghanistan. And he's now running for Congress in New Jersey's 5th District, where Democrat Josh Godheimer is seeking re-election. Nick DiGregorio, welcome. Hey, good afternoon, David. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. And, and, and my job, first of all, as everybody knows, is not to take sides in any campaign. But I do want to start off by thanking you for your service. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It was my honor to do it. Now, I, I read that you, you were in high school on 9-11. And yeah, that, that's right. I, I was 16 on 9-11. Uh, I went to Bergen Catholic High School about 12 miles away from Ground Zero. Um, you know, it was it was close enough where we could hear the F-15s rolling overhead to respond to the attack. So I think obviously 9-11 is a black eye for anyone in America, but I think our communities were certainly disproportionately affected. We're the ones who had to deal with the human loss of that day. So it was a very pivotal moment in my life. And, and so you, you decided at some point to, to join the Marines. What, what made you enlist? Yeah, that was, I mean, I think it was certainly 9-11. That was the, the day that I think I became a grown-up, and I realized that I, I needed to do something for my country to prevent another 9-11 from happening again. So um, I was only 16 at the time, so I said when I got old enough uh, that I would decide to, to join the Marines, and that's exactly what I did. I ended up serving nine years in the Corps, deployed uh, for my first deployment to Iraq, I had 28 Marines and a mandate from my boss to figure it out. We were on the Syrian border, um, and we had to prevent uh, weapons and foreign fighters from being smuggled in uh, so that they wouldn't harm Americans and Iraqis living in the major cities. Um, And then I deployed two more times after that, and then on my fourth and my final deployment, found myself in Afghanistan. That was in 2014. Um, Most harrowing experience of my life. I think the report said that we were – engaged with the enemy some 40 times, and we were there for just short of a year. So if you do the math, it's about once a week. Um, It was tough times, even 12, 13 years into that conflict. We were no more than three miles off base. We'd find ourselves in contact with the enemy. We really didn't have a lot of influence in the area. Um, We were just really doing it for the guy to the left and to the right of us. So, so what made you, you, you after the military? I know, I know you went to Georgetown, and you got a, a a master's degree. You worked on, you know, in finance in New York for a little bit. Now you are you are running for Congress. You're 36, and you've That's got right. a wife and two young kids, and you want to be a congressman. Why? Yeah, I'm I'm not doing it in spite of my family. I'm doing it for them, right? I'm I'm doing this for my children, and and I think I certainly started exploring this in June. Um, but I think we had one foot in the in the water, and we put both feet in uh, in August. And I remember it was August 15th. It was 10:43 a.m., and I got an alert on my phone from the Wall Street Journal saying that Ashraf Ghani, the president of Afghanistan, had fled the country, and that Kabul had fallen to the Taliban. And I was feeding my son, four months old at the time, um, a bottle, and and I looked at him, and I, I wondered to myself if Daddy's war was now going to become his war. And so I think. You know, when I look at who's going to be making the decisions around the table in Washington the next time we decide to commit our troops to battle for 20 years, 
I would like for it to people who have that experience and who have the subject matter expertise to make the right choices. And when you look at the composition of Congress right now, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, it was three quarters of our Congress were military veterans. It's down to 18 percent or thereabouts. And I think we need more people who understand what it is to be an American before you pick your political tribe. And I'm speaking with Nick DiGregorio, a congressman, uh, a congressional candidate seeking to uh, represent New Jersey's 5th District. So uh, you've got to get through a Republican primary first. You're running, I mean, Frank Pilato, who ran against Josh Gottheimer, he's in the race still. Nick uh, D'Agostino, a school board member from Sussex County. And this week, uh, the mayor of Frieden, John Flora, got into the race. Tell me tell me what this, this campaign for the nomination is, is going to look like. Yeah, I, you know, I think this is uh, an expression of, of our civic duty as Americans, right? I, I have no problem with the primary. I think it means that we've got a healthy system and that people can express their voices and their opinions. Um, I would say that my focus of effort is not on any of those gentlemen, and, and I do wish them the best of luck. My focus of effort is on Josh Gottheimer. My focus of, of, of effort is on the unaffordability of New Jersey. The fact that we look like a laughing stock in the, on the world stage to our enemies and to our allies alike. Those are the things that wake me up in the morning, and those are the things that I focus on. Well, let me talk about Pilata for a second, because he, he ran last time. He spent about $1.4 million of his own money. Uh, he, 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 I mean, God, Gottheimer beat him handily. Uh, I, I think you were for Frank Pilata last time. What's, what's become wrong with Frank Pilata that, that you don't think it should be him? Yeah, I, I was his senior advisor on his campaign. I, I still consider him a friend. I still consider him a, a, a good man. Um, but I, when I look at the numbers, I just see someone who's not going to be able to get across the finish line, right? And when we think about what just happened in November, uh, we see Jack Cittarelli won the 5th Congressional District by just over 7%, which is the same margin that Frank lost the district by just the year before. And so I think we need a change. I think um, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. And more important than any of that is my my feeling that I need to serve my country, right? I served nine years in the Marine Corps. As you had mentioned and alluded to uh, earlier, David, I, I ended up serving uh, a role in a, in a financial institution for two, three years, uh, and it was a great way to uh, pay the mortgage down and put money into the 529 for my kids, but it wasn't what I was put on this earth to do. I think I need to serve my country in some capacity, and I'm now going to explore and see if Congress is that way to do it. And I'm speaking with congressional candidate Nick Gregorio, and I, and I, I should probably clarify it because we, we see we see Wall Street people who who run for office uh, and and self finance the race. You know, from from what I gather, you're you know, you didn't make a hundred million dollars yet on Wall Street. <laughs> no, I did not. Um, my my wife and I made a, a very difficult decision to. Um, to allow my to allow me to do this, and it is a team sport, and my family is going to be going through this with me. Um, but we're not taking a salary. I've taken a leave of absence from the bank, um, and we're doing this on savings. And we're doing it because we feel that we need to do something greater than ourselves, and that's how we've always been. And I I inherited an America, if you will, from my father, who became a medical doctor. His grand his father, my grandfather, was an immigrant in 1948. He came here from Italy, escaping Nazi oppression after World War II. He was looking for food. He was looking for a new way of life. He had $20 in his pocket, and he wanted to figure it out. So he came to the United States, and in one generation, he was able to raise a physician son. And my father has now given me the opportunity to possibly become a member of Congress, and I look forward to doing that. So, so let's talk about you. You know, your your what, what you want to do as a first of all as a congressional candidate. What's 
the, the big thing that's being talked about now is is the Build Back Better bill. Would you would you vote for that, given given the uh, amount of money that's going to come into New Jersey? Yeah, un, unequivocally, I would not. Right, and and when I look at Josh Gottheimer taking his victory lap about this partial reinstatement of the salt deduction, if it does get through the Senate. I think he's just done what he's been doing for the last six years, which is to raise our taxes, right? Well, we will now return to a 50% combined state and federal tax rate for corporations. So we'll drive business out of, the, out of our state like we've always been doing. And then 60% on individuals, right? And, and whose right mind, other than the government, is the government supposed to be recouping 60% of somebody's hard-earned wages? That, to me, is, is egregious, and I think it's endemic to the problems that we're dealing with in Washington and the establishment that has been created there. And I think Josh Gottheimer embodies that establishment. I'm speaking with Nick DiGregorio, a candidate for Congress, trying to run against Josh Gottheimer. Uh, I mean, that, that SALT deduction, the state and local tax deduction, that is, that is a big deal for New Jersey. It's, it's a huge deal for, for Bergen County and North Jersey that you're looking to represent. Isn't, isn't a little bit of a deduction better than, than nothing at all? Uh, you know, I guess what I would say to that is if I were in Afghanistan and my commander told me to take the hill and I got halfway up and I radioed back to him and said, hey, mission accomplished, uh, I would be very wrong in doing that, right? And so I think there's really no partial credit in war and there's no partial credit in promises. And if Josh Gottheimer wants to come out and say for the last five years, I'm going to fully restore the salt deduction, and then he gets on his bicycle and does a victory lap and says, I did it, I did it, and ultimately we get it for a few years and we get an up in the cap, that's not mission accomplished, and that's just typical classic Josh Gottheimer. And, and Gottheimer is—I mean, you know—I've I've been calling this for several years. He's the human fundraising machine. He's got eleven million dollars in his campaign war chest. That's 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 not easy to overcome uh, in an, in a very expensive media market like the one you want to run in. So, Nick D. Gregoria, how much how much have you raised so far? Yeah, we're, we're doing well. I mean, our story is, I think, nationally interesting. And so we've been able to leverage not just local donors, but $10 donations from every one of the 50 states. People are excited about the prospect of somebody who knows what it is to have integrity and to serve actually going down to Washington and implementing those things. And I think that that's a long time coming. We've been absent those things in Washington for a long time. And I think if it's all about money, that we wouldn't see Ed Durr as a state senator right now. I mean, Ed Durr raised $153, and I think half of that went to Dunkin' Donuts for his staff members. Uh, taking out Senate President Sweeney, that was no small task, and he was able to do it. So if it was all about money, uh, then maybe you have a point that Josh Gottheimer and his $11 million is formidable. I don't think it's that formidable, and I think we're ready to beat him on ideas. So what do you what do you think? You, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to pin you down, obviously, so I'm being transparent where I'm going. What do you, what do you think you're going to need to raise to, to beat him? You can't yeah, do it on. I, I, I don't think you could do it on one hundred and fifty dollars. I, I, I think. I think. I think Senator Elect Ed Durr would tell you, be the first one to tell you that he was. You know, he, he didn't expect to win this. Absolutely. I. I, I don't intend to raise one hundred fifty three dollars and say a hail mary and call it a day. You know, I think we're working really hard to make sure that we can raise as much money as possible. I think this is going to be a race that is going to be expensive. There's no question about it. And I think it's going to require the buy-in of Washington, D.C. The the Republican Party needs to get involved in this. And I think if we show them the right stuff, they will. The the Congressional Leadership Fund, in a postmortem, and I believe it was December of 2020 after the 2020 elections, uh, stated that, hey, we took 15 seats in the House of Representatives. We weren't supposed to do that. It was actually a better year than we thought. And who was it? Who were these people that were able to win and win over these independents who had walked away from the Republican Party? It was persons of color. It was women, but it was also veterans. 
And the CLF has basically said that their intention is to find those kinds of candidates in the general election. And so it's incumbent on me to win the primary so that we can get Washington to come in here and we actually have a chance at winning this race. And I'm speaking with Nick DiGregorio, candidate for Congress in New Jersey's 5th District. And, and this has gone very fast, but I, but I, I have one last question. I, I, I noticed when you announced your candidacy last month, you had, you had uh, the former commander of the state Veterans of Foreign War, Barbara Kim Hageman. She is, I mean, a, you know, a, 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 as you know, a, a distinguished advocate for, for veterans and the first woman to ever serve as a, as a VFW commander in New Jersey. She joined you. Uh, your district includes Paramus. And and there were there were too many. I mean, one is too many, but there were there were too many deaths in a veterans nursing home there. Uh, uh, tell me tell me what you know what now now I, I Josh Gottheimer, as you know, was was a, a vocal advocate for fixing the problems there, and he 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 stood up to Phil Murphy on that. He he uh, he he went at that. Are, are you? Do you think do you think Josh Gottheimer did a good job on handling what was going on with the veterans home in Paramus? No, I, I think he did an atrocious job. I think it was too little, too late, and I think if he did a good job, then we wouldn't have had those individuals suffer the the horrible uh, end that they did. And when I think about Josh Gottheimer and I think about Phil Murphy, who's really at odds here with that problem in the Paramus veterans home. I, I think about uh, the day of the election here in New Jersey, Josh Gottheimer going on CNBC and saying that he resoundingly endorses Phil Murphy. That's what you need to know about Josh Gottheimer when he, quote unquote, stands up to people in his party. He simply doesn't. He's been a lapdog to Nancy Pelosi, votes with her 96 percent of the time. He votes with AOC 87 percent of the time. And then he has the gall to say that he's anti-socialist. You can't call yourself that if you're only going down to Washington and fighting it 13 percent of the time. So we've got a lot more work to do. We think we have a much better message. We think Josh Gottheimer needs to go. And we're going to see we're going to see fairly soon, maybe as early as next week, what your map's going to look like. And and you know the the devil's in the details. So you know you could you could have a district that that remains competitive, or you could have a district that is uh, 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 more Republican or more Democratic. So you know I, I, I'm sure you're as anxious to see that map as I am. I'm I'm ready to see it, but I'll tell you this. This is my home. I grew up in Bergen County my entire life. I'm running, and I'm going to give Josh Gottheimer the run of his life. Well, Nikki Gregorio, thanks for coming on. I hope you'll be back before uh, before uh, voters in, in your district vote for the primary. Well, thank you so much for having me, David. And I got to say it, go Navy. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's putting you in an alliance with, with Mikey Sherrill, but we can talk about that another time. It's another discussion. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that was Nick Gregorio. He is he's running for Congress in the 5th District. And I'll be right back to talk about a Republican rebellion in Trenton where lawmakers are protesting a policy that requires them to provide proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test before they enter the state house. So, so please don't go away. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. So earlier in this show, I referenced how slowly the wheels of justice spin when the courts need to get involved in settling a, a political dispute. So get this. Republicans in the New Jersey Senate and State Assembly filed a lawsuit uh, the week before last asking the courts to strike down a policy 
It was enacted by the State Capital Joint Management Commission. It requires legislators to show proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test before they entered the state house. Now, this was this was a huge problem in Trenton last week when uh, when the New Jersey State Police, who were tasked with preventing those who didn't obey the uh, the, the vaccine policy from entering the, the assembly or the Senate chambers, uh, state troopers relented. And several changes have been made to the mandate in these days. There's still, there's still a little bit of uh, a loss of clarity as to what's been going on there. Uh, what happened was uh, uh, the court refused to stay that policy. So, so in this part, I mean, I think it's – I don't understand it. Uh, they scheduled a hearing for the week of April 11, 2022, four months from now before they're going to actually hear oral arguments to to decide what's going on. In the meantime, uh, last week after this uh, – uh, after, after this uh, – uh, happened with state police. Uh, state police confirmed to me that several state troopers were reassigned from their state house post, and that, that followed the revolt by Republican lawmakers. It took them three days to answer the question, and all they said to me was that the troopers had been transferred uh, from the state house, uh, would not give me any reasons at all. Uh, we pressed that. Uh, uh, my reporter in, in, in Trenton, the Globe reporter, Joey Fox, tr- pressed that with Governor Phil Murphy. Uh, three other reporters uh, also also talked about the issue, and, and we couldn't get an answer. Uh, but I, wanna, I want you to hear, I'm going to play a clip, and I want you to hear what Governor Murphy did have to say about this. Security is something that uh, is not something we discuss uh, as a general matter. Uh, and that includes in this case. I will say that we have the best state police in the entire United States of America. But the big story from last week is not about security. It's about the idiocy of these ringleaders who are putting their fellow members' health and the family families of those fellow members at risk. This is not about freedom or civil rights. It's about their willingness to volitionally run the risk of infecting innocent, law-abiding folks who have done the right thing during this pandemic. It is outrageous, absolutely outrageous, incredibly irresponsible, unforgivable. That's the story from last week. So what you're hearing there is is Governor Phil Murphy. I mean, he, he... There's no way around it. He dodged the questions from four different reporters, and then, and then sought to to move this as a uh, uh, as something a discussion about the Republican legislators, and and we still don't have answers. We still don't have answers as to why the state police. Uh, trooper, the state troopers were, were reassigned, and, and who gave them orders in the first place, and how did this all pan out? We, we still don't know. Uh, the New Jersey Globe reported on Friday a, a letter from Assemblyman Eric Peterson. He's a Republican from Hunterdon County, and he, he called the governor's statements excessively melodramatic. Uh, he, he said that they were based on fear-mongering and, and not science regarding this 
uh, the vaccine mandate. Uh, and, and he said that the, the issue is not about freedom or civil rights. It's about the Constitution and what the New Jersey Constitution says. And I'm not taking sides one way or the other, but, but I, 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 I do look at the institution uh, when I when I see these issues and and what the Constitution says is that members of the Senate and the state assembly shall in all cases except treason and high misdemeanor be privileged from arrest during their attendance at the sitting of their respective houses. That's uh, that is in the Constitution and it says that that a legislator going down to Trenton to vote on bills uh, that, that may become law can't be prevented, uh, unless it's a really serious matter, can't be prevented from entering uh, into the, uh, into the sta- their way into the state statehouse. Uh, and, and one of the things that Assemblyman Peterson says here, I, I thought this was interesting, he, he put the governor on notice. He said that if anyone prevents or impedes or instructs, obstructs his travel uh, and his ability to get into the state house that that he'll file civil and criminal charges against whoever gave the orders and those who who carried out uh, carried out those orders. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Uh, uh, and, and 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 again, I, I can't believe that the courts. Uh, and I'm sure they have their reasons, and I, and I wish they would say them, but they will not. Uh, I don't understand why it's going to take four months for them to even hear this. Uh, that seems also a little bit of a dodge, a little bit of, of trying to uh, uh, keep out of the way. Uh, the other issue I want to talk about is something that happened in in Gloucester County this week. I think this is just odd. I don't know how this is going to settle out, but I think this is a strange one. Uh, in the 2021 election, so last month, uh, Gloucester County went Republican. It had not gone Republican in a countywide election in, in 11 years. Uh, Republicans won two county commissioner races, and they won the sheriff's office. They beat an incumbent sheriff. Uh, for the first time in decades, they'll control the office. The new sheriff is going to be Jonathan Sammons, and he is the first black sheriff uh uh, to serve in Gloucester County. And and now what happened is the Democrats who control the county board of commissioners, uh, they decided to move the sheriff. Suddenly they decided to move the sheriff's office out of the county administration building and, and move him down the street. And, and uh, there are now cries of this being modern-day segregation. That's what, that's what, what Commissioner-elect Nick DeSilvio said. Uh, said, and uh, uh, they're saying that there's something wrong about suddenly moving them, uh, moving the new sheriff, the sheriff elect, out of the, out of out of his office. Uh, this reminds me of something very similar that happened 20 years ago. Uh, there was a state senator, a 28-year state senator named Raymond Zane. Uh, he was a Democrat. The Democrats did not like him. Uh, they were prepared to dump him, and they were going to run the who, the person who was then the Gloucester County Freehold Director, Steve Sweeney. They were going to run him for the Senate. Zane switched parties and decided to run against Sweeney as a Republican. Uh, Zane's son, Raymond Zane II, was also... Uh, serving as a, a freeholder. That's what county commissioners uh, used to be up until a year ago. Uh, Zane, the younger Zane, was serving 
uh, in office, and Sweeney as the freeholder director, uh, he decided one day Zane's aides came in and they found the keys didn't work to his office, and they had they had moved the senator's son into a small office. Uh, uh, Zane cried foul. He said that Sweeney was retaliating against him because he had voted against Sweeney to be. Uh, the freeholder director. Sweeney, of course, went on to defeat Zane's father uh, in the last election and, uh, uh, and, and later became the longest serving legislative leader in state history. He will be leaving office in January. So, I mean, I guess, I guess things just, just all, you see something and, and you look at it and you say, oh, this is, this has happened before. I've seen this play. Uh, I'm going to be back uh with Assembly Majority Leader Lou Greenwald. Uh, he is uh, the dean of the New Jersey State Assembly, and we're going to talk about some of the issues uh, that will be coming up in the lame, disc- lame uh, duck session of the legislature. Uh, so don't go away. You won't want to miss that. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Lewis Greenwald is the majority leader of the New Jersey State Assembly in the legislature. Uh, Mr. Greenwald is the sponsor of a package of gun safety bills that will be considered by an assembly committee on Monday. Uh, Mr. Majority Leader, welcome. Hi, David. How are you? Thanks I'm, for having me. I'm doing well. Thank you for thank you for coming back. Let, let's talk about your bills. You have, uh, uh, I think, I think it's five bills uh, dealing with gun safety issues that are going to be uh, considered by the the Assembly Oversight Committee uh, on uh, on Monday. Uh, tell me what's going on with those. Well, thanks, David. Yeah, you know, we've worked very closely with the governor these past four years to pass some of the strongest gun violence prevention laws in the country. And the numbers have reflected success. When you look at a state like New Jersey, that is considered of having some of the most strict gun laws in the country, even though a state like ours that is so densely populated, we have one of the lowest incidents of gun violence of any state in the country. And that's been a success. And clearly, some of the past laws we've done, like establishing red flag laws for gun violence uh, protective orders, have worked. Establishing uh, partnerships with trauma centers around the state, the Rutgers Gun Violence Research Center that was done up at University Health System and down at Cooper Hospital, have worked to provide services around victims. And now we're trying to look to take this next step um, which we think are common sense approaches to gun violence prevention that are very much focused on doing two things. One, protecting the Second Amendment and lawful gun owners, and also common sense approach uh, to gun violence. So let me give you a couple examples of the bill. Okay. One, for instance, is let me give you this stat. This stat was startling to me. According to the New Jersey State Police, 442,214 handgun permit applications were filed in New Jersey in 2020. That's a 332% increase from the 102,270 filed in 2019. So one of the things that we thought is an important approach to this is as more and more people seem to be looking to be applying uh, for gun permits, 
one of the things that we're suggesting is requiring training prior to the issuance of a firearm. Also, we'd like to see a safe storage law for firearms in the home. We see this all the time where kids get access to their parents' guns. And most recently in the news, you, I'm sure most of your listeners heard about the shooting in Michigan at the Oxford High School. That was an incident where a young person was able to get access to a gun that had been purchased by their parents. And then a couple other quick ones. We want to require that newly manufactured handguns have something that's called a micro stamp. So when you, when you fire that gun, it will micro stamp the bullet. So before that gun is purchased and transferred to the consumer, we'll fire it. We'll have a micro stamp. We'll be able to identify that gun to that owner. And it's like a fingerprint and it protects lawful gun owners that that gun is ever stolen. Uh, or sold or transferred, they register it, and they now know who is the proper owner of that gun. So these are, David, the type of simple, common-sense approaches that doesn't take a single gun away from a single person, protects every lawful gun owner, and tries to attack that problem in a rational sense as we see this, you know, legitimate spike in people applying for gun permits, but at the same time making sure that as guns are in the community, that they're done safely. And a lot of these bills, I think this is the third round of, of gun safety legislation uh, in the Assembly over the last couple of years. Uh, I think a lot of these bills pass with bipartisan support, don't they? They do, David. And I think that's why I, I can't say it enough. Our goal is to protect the Second Amendment and at the same time make sure that when guns are in the community that it's safe for the user and it's safe for the community as a whole and we've really walked that line, I think, very effectively, and it's why it has gotten bipartisan support. And so Assembly Speaker Craig Coughlin uh, uh, joined, joined Governor Murphy, and he, uh, he, he said that he would consider these votes during the lame duck. Are, are, the, are, the, are the votes there to pass this package uh, this year? The votes are there uh, to pass uh, these bills that we've just discussed. Um, you know, and, and I heard a little bit of a lead into our conversation, some of the talk about my friend Steve Sweeney, and I remind people all the time, you, you know, we can't do things in one house without the other. And Steve's been a supporter of this same type of common sense, and he's been a voice of reason for people to protect the Second Amendment, you know, in his district, in our area of the state. Hunting is part of a culture, uh, family tradition passed on from grandparent to parents, to children and grandchildren. And, you know, Steve has always been a constant voice of us to make sure that we are passing laws that have that common sense approach and at the same time protects the Second Amendment. And Mr. Majority Leader, I, I also I realized I, I misspoke. I said the Oversight Committee, uh, just, just in case anybody is listening and wants to uh, uh, participate in the hearing, it's the Judiciary Committee that's going to hear, hear those bills. Uh, let, me ask you, let me ask you another question. Uh, uh, we, we've, we've had a lot of talk over the last two weeks about the, the Rebu- Republican rebellion over the statehouse policy that requires you to either show proof of vaccination or show a, a negative COVID test. Uh, what's, what's going on in Trenton in terms of, of legislators being able to come in to a session uh, 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 as they always have? So, David, no one's been denied access of participating in the democratic process. It frustrates me when I see what is really a small 
uh, minority within the minority caucus. This, you know, and we've received numbers of phone calls, the speaker and I, from Republican members asking us to please not paint them with a broad brush. But there is four, five, six members of their caucus that have taken the stand. And I think they've misrepresented the facts to the public, to be honest. Uh, they are suggesting that their constituents are not being represented, and that just couldn't be further from the truth. So let me lay out for you what we've established. I think it's fair and reasonable. Okay. We did this in a time where we are seeing, as we have now seen through a number of holiday seasons, what have we learned from this virus, David? We know when people gather in close proximity, especially around the holidays, we see spike in the virus. That has been no different this year as we've come through the Hanukkah season for our Jewish friends and neighbors and now through Thanksgiving. And we know that we are seeing increased hospitalization and spikes in the virus. We also are going into Christmas and New Year's. And then as we get two weeks past New Year's, we'll start to see the numbers uh, come down. We have an added factor that just as the, the, these four, five, six Republicans were taking the stance, we had a new variant, the Omicron, that we still don't know a lot about. Uh, research seems to suggest, while it's very contagious, it's not as uh, virulent and deadly. Good news there. So what we did in the assembly was ask for some simple measures in uh you know, in a house that is close proximity, people sitting shoulder to shoulder, uh, 80 members plus staff, probably 150 people in that room at any one time. We ask people to show respect to each other and say and provide proof that you've either been vaccinated and received your booster. If you don't want if you if you have a, made a choice, you don't want to be vaccinated. That's your that's your choice. That's fine. Just please present a negative test as you come into this room with other people. If you didn't get a negative test or don't want to pay for the negative test, we arranged for a 15-minute rabbit test to be given to you that day as you entered. If you didn't want to take that test, David, you didn't want to take any of those three options, we were going to provide access for you to participate in the voting session online where New Jersey was the first state in the country during the pandemic when it hit to make sure we didn't shut down government to vote online, and that passed with bipartisan support. So there were a number of Republicans that were willing to present proof of vaccine or a negative test. Uh, they would have participated on the floor, and we would have moved forward. Um, these five or six Republicans have made this an issue that I really I, I don't think is necessary. So I certainly respect their opinion, uh, but I disagree with their approach, and I, I, I do truly disagree with the suggestion that they have misrepresented to the public that they were not going to be able to participate. And I'm speaking with Lou Greenwald, the majority leader of the New Jersey State Assembly. And I and I think about your your first election to the to the legislature. You 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 first went to Trenton in Newt Gingrich's first year as the Speaker of the House. And and I've been I've been looking at that strategy. What happened in the in the in the 1990s? of a suddenly more aggressive uh, Republican Party in Washington. Is that what we're going to look at next year? Do we? I mean, clearly clearly the Republican side of the aisle after the, uh, this year's election is, is more conservative than it, than it had been. Uh, do you think you're going to see more of this? Do you think you're now looking at more partisanship from the Republican minority than you've had over the last few years? 
you know, David, it, that's not for me to say. I, I'll watch them with interest. I'd have no problem with them being vocal and, and fighting for their positions. You know, if partisanship is another word for public policy, that partisanship comes from the leaning of their voters in a policy direction that they want them to go. That's what they should be doing. But let's have an honest debate. Let's not misrepresent the facts. Let's not suggest that that democracy is being threatened. And let's have an honest conversation around these five gun bills that we just talked about, whether or not you think they're reasonable or not. Let's have an honest conversation around the uh, child care tax credit that we just gave to working families making up to $150,000 a year and almost doubling the income eligibility for that because we want to help hardworking men and women get back to work as this pandemic comes to an end, stimulate our economy, and let parents know that their children are safe and, and their children are a safe environment. Let's have conversations around those types of public policies. Now, if you're asking, look, if this more conservative, radical Republican voice plays out, I don't think that's the direction that New Jersey is. I think New Jersey is a moderate state, and I don't think Democrats are any better served in going to a fringe left. I believe we live in the middle in many respects. I believe New Jersey is a state that wants elected officials that are fighting for kitchen table, pocketbook issues, helping people return to normal, making sure their children are safe, are receiving a world-class education, which they do in New Jersey, number one public education system in the country. I think that's what people want us to fight for, but I also think they want us to do it with grace and dignity and humility, and I think that's what I would challenge all of our members, regardless of party, to do. Well, Assemblyman Lewis Greenwald of Camden County, Majority Leader of the, the State Assembly, I, it, it's always a pleasure having you on, and I hope you'll be back soon to, to talk about what you're doing in the in the next session of the legislature. David, thanks. I hope you have a wonderful holiday for you and your family. It's nice talking to you, and I, I look forward to talking to you again. You as well. Have a happy holiday, Mr. Leader. You too. Thank you. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. You've been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and we'll be back next Saturday at 4 p.m.